0: Thanks for tuning in to listen to The Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after The Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. As we were doing the Torah service. And I know it, it was, you missed singing so much when Kimitsion started. But did you notice how it made you look at it differently today? And I was talking with someone before the service and, and uh, reminding myself that Yom Kippur is the day that Messiah will judge the earth and many millions of people will die. And then a thousand years later, many millions of millions of people will be put into outer darkness on this day. And so we know Messiah, we have the joy of the infilling of his Ruach HaKodesh. We understand salvation. We can't help but rejoice in the knowledge of Yeshua the Messiah. But this day is a day of affliction of the soul. And it's a shame to me that the believing world doesn't do it. And even it's a shame that those people who do do it, most of them, 98% of them probably have already done it on the wrong day. This is the day that foreshadows the final judgment. And it's a bittersweet day. If you look in the Scriptures, it's a day of both joy and of sadness. God doesn't take pleasure in destroying people. He doesn't. He wouldn't have sent His Son to die on a tree for the whole world if He took pleasure in destroying people. He would have just destroyed us. And just like Kepha said, He is patient, hoping that all should come to do teshuva, turn around and begin to walk the ways of God. He's very patient with the whole world. So as we were, as the Torah was, was progressing, there was one person clothed in red. Did you catch that? The scroll. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yom Kippur, Yeshua is drenched in blood. Do you realize that? His garments, his vesture is covered in blood. And he, he, among those who come back from heaven, is the only one who's covered in blood. Not us. We're dressed in white. For on this day, and that day is Yom Kippur, obviously, shall atonement be, atonement be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You will be clean before Yabba. It is a Shabbat Shabbaton unto you. You shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. They didn't maybe know why they were afflicting their souls. The command was given first in Vayikra. The command for Yom Kippur and and the two goats was given right after Aaron and his two sons had died for offering strange fire. And then the command was given. But the word there is kapar, which means to cover over, which gets conjugated into kippur for atonement and kippurim for atonements. Yom Hakippurim is the official biblical name of the day, the day of the atonements. There are several atonements that go on on Yom Kippur. The earthly temple was as as beautiful as it was it was imperfect. Sin must have been so very prevalent there. Humans were in it, right? But God said that he would visit them. That's why the atonements had to go on. But did you notice in your reading this week that the temple itself had to be sprinkled with blood? The altar itself had to be sprinkled with blood. The altar outside had to be sprinkled with blood. Everything had to be sprinkled with blood. So, those are the atonements that are going on. For humans in the temple, there was a practical reason for the blood being handled the way it was and for the burning of the bodies of the offerings. Did you notice that the offerings, the bullock and the goat, they didn't eat those offerings. They took them outside and burned them. All the other offerings, sin offerings that people brought individually and brought up to the side of the altar, the, the bringer of the offering ate it, and the priest ate his portion of it. But these were taken outside, and their bodies burned. There's a practical scientific reason for all of the cleansings that are going on. We understand bloodborne pathogens today and disease and germs and bacteria and all of that. Back then, they didn't. They just had to do it. But God is not afraid of bacteria, germs, and blood-borne pathogens. It's, and it, but he says that the temple must be cleansed for his sake, right? So he's having them cleanse the temple first with the blood sacrifices that they're making, and he's um, then he has them make the sacrifices for themselves, for the, first for the Kohen and then for Israel. The text says, because I am in your midst, almost intimating that it was God that needed to be protected from the uncleanness in the temple. Well, that's not it. If God had showed up and anything was unclean, it dies. is destroyed. Israel was being protected by the blood offerings. The presence of God destroys sin, consumes it. There is a verse in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Our God is a consuming fire. And that word there is rooted in the word achal, which means to eat. So the consumption is causing something to disappear by internalizing it. Are you with me? Our God is a consuming fire. In a small picture... For most of the sacrifices, the offering is consumed in some way. I just mentioned the ones that are brought to the corner of the altar. The guy that makes the offering cuts the neck of of the beast, puts his hand on it first, prays the prayer, cuts his neck, then they carve it up, cook it, and they together eat it, and the sin is consumed by the priest and by the believer. All right? The olot, the burnt offerings, they are consumed by the fire itself. The libations that are poured out don't seem to be consumed, but it's the earth consuming them, is it not? In all cases, it's a picture of the destruction of sin. So why the two goats? There's a myriad of opinions out there about what the two goats represent, and some of it I think is a distraction. It goes into mythology. And I don't think that's what God meant at all with these two goats. Yom Kippur instructions are given after the death of Aaron's two sons. He says, I appear in the cloud above the Kippurit, and that's why he's going to do the oblations, the offerings that we read about in Leviticus 16. We... See the Kohen dressing in white for this day? The high priest dresses in white for this day. That's one of the reasons that we do it. Because this day is supposed to be a picture of our atonement, which makes us white before God. The psalm that we prayed, Psalm 51, says that, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. All right, that concept is not lost on most believers. Whiteness is a picture of purity. The instructions of the two goats are given, and it says... Two goats. Two goats for a chatat Two goats, one sin offering. Because there are people that want to say that one goat is for the devil and one goat is for God. When is God ever going to tell people to sacrifice something to Hasatan? Or a demon? Does that even make sense? And yet, that's what people are teaching. Have you heard it? Azazel is the chief demon. Gotta gotta appease him. God's going to going to appease a lesser demon that he created, who rebelled against him. I don't think so. May I never attempt to appease Hasatan. <laughs> Not going to do that. Khalilah, And Aaron shall present the goat upon which the lot fell for Yahweh and offer him for a chatat. And Aaron makes atonement after that. It says that Aaron makes atonement for himself with a separate bullock. All right, so he's told about the two goats, and then he first makes atonement for himself and his family with a separate bullock. Our high priest, Yeshua, was sinless. There was no need for an offering for himself before he goes into the Holy of Holies, right? Perhaps we need to dig into the imagery there a little later. Then it goes on and says, Then he, Aaron, shall kill the goat of the Chatat, the single goat for the Chatat, the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the parochet, that's the curtain, and do with his blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. So he took the blood of the bullock in first to the atonement seat to atone for himself and his family, and then he takes it in to sprinkle it upon the Kippurit and before the Kippurit. And he makes atonement for Hakodesh. So now he's making atonement for the house, the holy place, because the uncleanness of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions, even all their sins, so shall he do for the tent of meeting that dwells within them in the midst of their uncleanness. So after that, he was to do it for the tent itself, the larger tent. He'll go out unto the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it and shall take the blood of the bullock. And so then he atones for the altar. He sprinkles it seven times to hallow it. And when he's made an end of atoning for the holy place, the... Tent of meeting the altar, then he shall present the live goat. So now that second goat is coming into play. The first goat has been killed, right? The second goat is now coming into play. He'll lay both his hands upon the live goat, confess over him all the iniquities of B'nai Yisrael. What we just confessed would have been put on that goat. We don't have a goat here to do that. This is not the temple in Jerusalem. We understand who our sacrifice is. We say it every week. He didn't become sin like a lot of Bible translations say, and even in the Greek, that's bad translation. He became a sin offering, hatat The, the Aramaic makes it perfectly clear that it, he is a hatat our sin offering. So that's who we're confessing before and on whom we are transferring our sins. Anybody in here perfect yet? Not me. I noticed we were all dressed in white, and I'm willing to bet. I know where some blotches are on my white stuff. Anybody else? Rubbed my leg up against the truck, kicked the tire. Five minutes, I'm already defiled. you getting my point. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land which is cut off. That second goat. Bears the transgressions of Israel and is escorted out of the city and taken to a cliff and driven off the cliff to make sure that that one who's carrying the sins dies. That's not a picture of Satan being thrown in the pit. It's a picture of Yeshua bearing our sins and being thrown into the pit. He went down into Sheol. A lot of believers don't believe that. And they miss it. Yeshua bore our sins and cleansed, his cleansing was from the fires of Sheol. Are you with me? He had to become clean to rise from the dead and be the Messiah. Right? If, if our sins weren't put on his flesh and blood body when he was hanging on the tree, we're idiots. And if he's still bearing them, we're even bigger idiots. You get what I'm driving at? The bullock of the Hattat and the goat of the khatat whose blood was brought in shall be carried forth without the camp. So the bull that was for Aaron's family and the goat that was for the sanctuary, all of those two animals are now being carried out, and they shall burn in the fire for their, their skins, their flesh, and, and their offal. Everything about them is to be consumed in the fire. All right. <clears throat> The goat for Azazel shall be set alive before Yahweh to make atonement over him. There it is, atonement, atonement, atonement for the sanctuary, atonement for the people. I believe that the reason this is broken up is because of the way that the gospel has played out for the last two thousand years. Atonement for—I mean, where, in the, where did the where did Shavuot take place anyway? The Shavuot that most people call Pentecost, where the where the Spirit came down and gave people languages, where did that take place? In the temple. In the temple, most people don't realize that. They weren't just in a cute upper room. They were in an upper room of the temple. If you don't understand the temple, the temple had around it, the the sanctuary itself had around it walls. And in those walls were rooms. And Israelis could pick a room and go have a banquet and do whatever they wanted in there. And so that's where they were when when that came down. And so you have the atonement for the sanctuary and then the atonement for Israel. We have the atonement happening in the sanctuary where 3,000 people are saved for the very first time. And then it starts spreading throughout the world. Are you with me? The goat for Azazel was sent into the wilderness and people think that that is the same word as um, one of the passages in the book of Enoch. First of all, the book of Enoch is not inspired divine writing. Enoch died or was taken up before the flood. Whoever wrote that book, probably in about the first or second century, before or after Messiah, nobody's sure, made it up. It was probably, it had, obviously it had some Jewish lore in it that had been handed down orally because that's how they did it. They didn't have this. They didn't do a lot of that. Paper was very expensive. Kings had it. Nobody else did. Are you with me? So yeah, they probably wrote, had pieces and parts of things they'd heard, but they wrapped it around other things. It's a mythology book. The biggest part of it is mythology. But even if you think it's Accurate, because some of it is, obviously, because who who quoted it? Yehuda, Yeshua's brother in the book of Jude, quotes the book of Enoch. So there is some truth. It's it's a worthy book to read, but it is not divinely inspired. There is, so what does Azazel mean? Who is that or what is that? The Mishnah. Doesn't say anything about Azazel, but the Barretta, the commentary, the very first commentary on the Mishnah says something about it. And this is how it so this is the earliest mention of Azazel after the Bible. It's only it is only in the book of Leviticus, by the way, about five times in the chapter that we read. It's in the book of Leviticus about five times in the chapter that we read. It's not mentioned anywhere else except in the first commentary on the Mishnah. All right. And that interprets Azazel as Az-El. The ruggedness or the, or the rough mountain cliff. So their commentary on it is it, it represented the place from which the goat was cast. Are you with me? The words, there's another guy, Genesius, thought it referred to, he was the first one to refer to a demon. But in the book of Enoch, it's Azazel or something like that. It's not Azazel in the book of Enoch. Are you with me? All right. It's Az, az E L in the book of Enoch. But again, that's not the define the, the divinely inspired word of God. So what it actually means if you break the two the, the word apart into its two parts is strength is gone. Strength is used up. Strength is taken away. And of course, what is put on that goat? Sin. The strength of sin, the power of sin is pictured being taken away because sin destroys, sin kills, right? So the goat going over the cliff is not an appeasement offering to some demon, which a lot of people are teaching. The goat going over the cliff is a picture of our sins being utterly cast away, which is exactly what God says in the prophets. We're reading out of the Torah to find out and the prophets tell us, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I driven your sins away from me, says God, right? 1 Corinthians 15, Mavet, which is the power of death, is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Sheol, where is your victory? The sting of Mavet, the sting of death, is sin. And the strength of sin is the Torah. But thanks be to Elohim who has given us the victory through Adoninu, Yeshua HaMashiach. The strength of, of sin is the Torah does not mean that the Torah is wicked. That's where people get confused and they quote Paul, they pick in part pick apart little three and four verses of Paul and pin it together to make the Torah look like the evil thing. Paul says over and over, Halila. The Torah is good, the Torah is life, the Torah is, is glorious. All right. But how does Hassan draw strength from the Torah to bring about sin? By perverting the word of God. That's how you convince people to sin. That's exactly what Satan did in in the garden. The very first ain't changed in 6,000 years. (laughs) The very first sin was a taking of the word of God and twisting it. And convincing Eve that she would be like God, which is exactly what God said. We don't want him to be like us, right? But it's a perversion of what God said. And Hasatan hasn't changed. That's where sin draws its strength from, is by twisting the Torah. Peter even said it. 2 Peter 3, 14 through 19. I hope you have that in your tackle box by now. Paul writes difficult things that are hard to understand, and people pervert his writings just like they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. What ought we to do? We ought to live a life in the Torah. That's exactly what Peter says. It's the twisting of the Word of God that gives sin strength. Why do you think that in, I'm 56 years old, and when I was a kid, two guys marrying somebody would have freaked 90% of the country out. But for the last 40 years, people have been perverting the Word of God, twisting it, And finding ways to explain it away, and they've convinced 60 to 80 percent of the population, most of which claims to be Christian, that we just ought to leave them alone. And let them, you know, and acknowledge their, their sin with our official court records and let them be considered married. Is that a twisting of the word of God or what? They take God's rainbow. Take one of the colors out of it. And use it to symbolize iniquity. That's a twisting and a perversion. Satan doesn't run from the word of God. He uses it more than religious people do. Sin is the issue. And sin is consumed on Yom Kippur. Yeshua, when he comes back, puts his foot down on Yom Kippur. People are going to die by the word of his mouth. The book of Yonah, Jonah, is the Yom Kippur Haftarah. This is Jewish tradition that goes back 2,500 years, if not more. I called out of my affliction unto Yahweh, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you he heard my voice. This is Jonah speaking from the belly of the great fish. We don't know what species it was, but nonetheless, it was a creature big enough to swallow him, and I believe it literally. But he says, I cried from the belly of Sheol. This is also a picture of Messiah. And our Jewish people know that. They just don't want to admit it. It's a picture of Messiah. I cried out of the belly of Sheol, and you heard my voice, for you did cast me into the depth. Think of Yeshua. Let's pretend... Let's hypothesize that these are Yeshua's words. You got it fixed in your mind? You did cast me into the depth in the heart of the seas, and the flood was round about me. All your waves and your billows passed over me, and I said, I am cast out from before your eyes. Eli, Eli, lama azaptani. Remember Yeshua saying that? Yet I will look again toward your consecrated sanctuary. The waters encompass me about, even to the soul. The deep was around about me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. Hello. Did Yeshua have something wrapped around his head? I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars closed upon me forever. You have brought up my life from the pit. O Yahweh, my Elohim. Resurrection. Jonah wasn't in a pit. He was in the bailey of a whale. His words are prophesying Messiah. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came in unto you. Yeshua was praying on the tree. I guarantee you, he was praying where he went. My prayer came in unto you in your consecrated sanctuary. They that regard lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Religious doctrine is lying vanities. Doctrines that pervert the word of God are lying vanities. Why does J- uh, Jonah mention that? He ran from God. This is only the second chapter of his book. The only thing you have that prefaces this is him running from God who said, go to Nineveh and tell her to repent. That's it. So why are lying vanity? Jonah is the only one who sins in this book. Do you realize that? I will sacrifice unto you with the voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed, I will pay. And then, Yeshua Ta, me Salvation is from Yahweh. And Yeshua Ta there is Yeshua's name with a Tav and a He behind it. Rabbis do it all the time. They break apart the words and look for the mystery in them. Yeshua Is the signature of God. A tav? is the mark of a signature. And the hay on the end is. Look at this. See this. You got that in your head? Yeshua has authority over sin. That's what a signature is for, isn't it? He's the one who gives us strength over sin. And that's how sin is consumed and assuaged out of our lives is by confession of Yeshua. Unfortunately, the messianic community and a lot of the believing community, but honestly, the messianic community to me goes around giving power back to sin by using the Torah in a foul way. By looking at someone else and saying, "You're you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. People in the Messianic community do that more than anybody. They're so concerned that no one is doing what they do in the Torah that they're going around just pointing the finger. I thought about how many millions of people know the story of the gospel but don't know the power of it. Millions of people around the world know and can say the words and understand the thoughts behind the gospel but they really don't understand the power of it, and they don't know how far-reaching the atonement of Yeshua's blood is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be treating people the way they treat people. When it says that Yeshua died for the sins of the whole world, ain't one soul you can look in the eyes that Yeshua didn't care about and hasn't already forgiven. He said it while he was hanging on the tree. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he wasn't just talking about the guys nailing him to the tree. He's talking about all of us. We would would have likely been there. Look at his apostles, walked with him for three and a half years. Only one was at the base of the tree with him. And he ran the night he was arrested. They all did. But the blood of Messiah has already atoned for every sin in the world. Going around browbeating people with the Torah, is a waste of time, and it it borders on blasphemy to me. It borders on trampling the blood of Messiah underfoot. Because we can't, we're obviously not looking at the world through the compassionate eyes of our master if all we're doing is pointing out their sins. I mentioned the homosexual community. I don't go around preaching to them. I love on them. And one of them, y'all know the story. The first time I encountered anyone that was openly professed, I knew it before he ever confessed it. You guys remember that story? And I started praying, and I told him the gospel. God was bugging me about talking to that boy, and I didn't want to do it. He was a jerk. And I told him the gospel, and in the middle of that conversation, I just knew that he was a homosexual. I knew it. And I go away and pray for him, and I love him for the next six months that that I work with him. I worked with him for six more months, and Melanie met him. We loved on him. We loved him every day just by saying hi to him. He came out of the closet, started dressing like a woman and acting it and bragging about his dalliances. And two years later, he got saved. Because Bill, another guy, a believer that I worked with and me, didn't condemn him when he did it. He said, y'all are the first two uh, believers that I ever, that actually treated me like Yeshua, Jesus would have, is what he said. Everybody. That's right. Sin has already been expiated for the whole world. The power of it has already been removed. It's just people aren't tapping into the power that frees them from it. They don't understand that sin is conquerable. People that are homosexual don't understand that they can conquer it. They can. People that drink don't realize they can conquer alcohol. It can be conquered. Drugs, it can be conquered. Sexual perversion, sexual addiction. Of any kind. It can be conquered. It's already been expiated, and the power to conquer it is given to us. And we walk around hitting each other over the head, the religious people. It's driving me crazy. The problem is people need to see their need of forgiveness and their need of salvation And realize they're already technically under the power of Sheol. Sheol is a kingdom. It's not the grave. It's not a hole in the ground. Hell is a Greek word. Sheol is the place of the dead. And you're either walking in that kingdom or you're walking in the kingdom of light. And I believe there's a lot of people walking around thinking they're believing in Jesus. And they're walking in darkness. Because they're just going around hitting people. Yeshua said this, Then some of the men of the Sophrim, the scribes and the Pharisees, answered and said to him, Teacher, we'd like to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation wants a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of Yonah Hanavi, Jonah the prophet. Yeshua wasn't talking to sinners in, from the earthly perspective. He was talking to people who thought they had it, Right, they are the they are God's chosen, and I'm not pay, I'm not talking about their Jewishness, I'm talking about their station in religion. A scribe and a Pharisee was a high paying job, he was respected. They were the caretakers over the word of God, and they had no idea who Yeshua was because they were self righteous. And Yeshua says. An evil and adulterous generation wants a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of Yonah Hanavi, Jonah the prophet. Today, people want someone to do a wonder or do a miracle or shandai Rondai or do some kind of supernatural thing to convince them that that's the guy they need to follow. That is evil and perverseness. It's the person who is declaring the word of God and the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua that people ought to be listening to. But they're not. They're listening to bubblegum gospel. For as Jonah was in the great fish's belly, Yeshua's going to give him one sign, and it's already been given. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights... So the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights And the heart of the earth does not mean the, the, the core of magma, which I don't believe it's magma, magma. I believe it's water and something else. But that's not where he was. He was in Sheol. The heart of the earth is a figurative place of where I've already mentioned that he was sent. Right? Even the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and find it guilty, for they repented through the declaration of Jonah. And behold, one greater than Jonah is here. And Jonah, again, is the scripture for Yom Kippur. They were looking for a sign, and Jonah's words is what Yeshua gave them. And it should have, for the Jewish teachers... And scribes, who all they did, by the way, was write the Bible over and over and over again, check it frontwards and backwards, making sure every letter is perfect. Look at a handwritten Torah scroll. You've seen one before. They are perfect, and they're written by human hand. They are very good at it. These guys know the Word of God very well, and they know that Jonah was the, the Yom Kippur scripture, and that Yeshua is quoting it and mentioning judgment on them. And the passage he quoted ends with Yeshua Ta is from Yahweh. Your Yeshua is from Yahweh. And they're standing there looking at a man carrying that name around. They know that. People who constantly monitor someone else's Torah observance do not know that all sin is already forgiven. They don't get it. They don't take the testimony of the person they're accusing. They certainly didn't take my testimony when they were accusing me. They only take their observation and their perception of what they think might be going on. and stack up a few clues here and there and point the finger. Messianic people may be in more danger than many Christians because there are there are believers, there are believing Christians out there who simply love God and want to do what's right. Some of them not very educated. I, I our family comes to mind, they live in a place where most people just have a high school diploma. If that. But they love God. And they can't understand deeper meaning of scripture. But they love God. My grandfather couldn't even read, but loved God more than any person I ever knew. 67 years of bliss in marriage. Am I right? Performed miracles, even though he wouldn't say that. Intellectual salvation is just the whitewashing of oneself in human logic. And I think that's what most people have. True salvation is falling down on your face before God for the mercy of the whole world. We prayed those prayers today. Forgive us. Some of those things I'm willing to say that we did not do. We're not perfect. We did some of the, you remember the list we read? How many of you did it prick you when you got to one of the things you know you did? That's the purpose of it. We were praying it in unison as if we had done it all because we're praying for the salvation of the world around us. We've been on a mission, this congregation, praying for our family to come into the truth and get out of the darkness and and unify and love God and be prepared for the blasting of the shofar when he's going to start the tribulation and it looks ever more like it's going to happen soon. And that's what this day ought to remind us of is that there's plenty of people out there we're dressed in white here today, but Yeshua said, look at the fields. They're white to harvest. That means there's salvation for the picking if we just declare it. But we're not declaring the right way. The majority of people are not declaring. Melanie and I were talking about it today. If, if, we, if I were to go back into a church, the thing that, that I would enjoy the most would be the old hymns. I don't care for this modern junk that they sing. But the old hymns are rife with truth. I told y'all, nothing but the blood saved me from being a sailor many times. From acting like an idiot. You know, because my thoughts were going awry, and I start singing, and I'm delivered. The two goats, both of them together, represent Yeshua. One ministry. One goat killed was used to cleanse the temple, the altar, so God could be in their midst. And the other one took all the sins of Israel to be cast off a cliff. The temple is symbolic of the body of Messiah. And Israel is symbolic of the body of Messiah. And the body of Messiah is anyone who joins Israel in the gospel. For one atonement. By the blood of Yeshua. There are Messianic people today thinking they are gaining their atonement by what they're doing today. Or what they did two days ago. No you're not. And if you think that, you're lost. Our atonement is from Yeshua. 1 John 1-2 through chapter 1 and 2. And these things we write to you that our joy may be in you may be complete. This then is the gospel which we have heard from him and declare to you that Elohim is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not follow the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is a reason that we say these scriptures every week to start our services. We're bringing our offering before God because we don't want to sit in here with sin on us. I want to worship him in purity and in truth and have him respond to our worship. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You don't have to say it with your lips to think it in your mind. You're saying it to yourself. And I've had, I've seen that attitude. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our iniquity. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, Yeshua, a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you that you do not sin. So he's given us hope. And he's beckoning from us to Endeavor not to sin But if any man sins We have an advocate with the Father Yeshua the Messiah The righteous one And he is the Kippurah Atonement For our sins And here's the big one Not only for our sins But for the sins of the whole world These people who think that Yeshua only died for a select few Are lost they don't understand the power of the gospel. They don't understand the depth of the power of the blood of Yeshua and what it has already done. The whole world has been given the gift of salvation. Religious people take that gift and turn it into attacks. Or they turn it into a jack-in-the-box. Are afraid what's going to jump out of it at you? A huge burden. They don't understand the depth of God's forgiveness for everybody. Or they wouldn't lay the burden of sin on lost people or saved people. And if Yeshua didn't die for everybody, we're idiots. Because we ain't that special. Second Corinthians 5. Whoever from now on is a follower of Messiah is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new through Elohim, who has reconciled us to himself by Yeshua the Messiah and has given us to us the ministry of reconciliation. For Elohim was in Mashiach, who has reconciled the world with his majesty, not counting their sins against them. Of the world, he's saying that. Not counting their sins against them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Messiah, as though Elohim did beseech you by us. We beseech you for Messiah, be reconciled to Elohim, for he who did not know sin for your sakes became a hatat, a sin offering, that we may through him be made the righteousness of God. He goes on and says this, so we beseech you as helpers, that the compassion of God which you have received may not be in vain among you. For he said, I have answered you in an acceptable time, and I have helped you on the day of Yeshua, salvation, Yeshua. Behold, now is the acceptable time, and behold, now is the day of Yeshua. Give no occasion for offense to anyone in anything so that there be no blemish in our ministry. But in all things, let us show ourselves to be the ministers of Elohim in much suffering. People today think that being a minister of God means that you have limousines and planes and cars and no problems, and uh, every time you get sick, it's going to be healed, and if you're sick, you're in sin. And There's just all kinds of garbage out there. And look at what Shaul says. This is what ministers of God go through in much suffering in sickness, in fastings. Hello, we're doing it right now. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Ruach HaKodesh, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of Elohim, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by praise and reproach, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not dying, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet enriching many. As having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Here we sit on Yom Kippur. Our bellies are empty. We're starting to eat ourselves inside out. (laughs) This boy is hungry. I ain't afraid to admit it. And what that is supposed to do to us is remind us. And I hope that we go into this new year with a resolve to be ministers of reconciliation. And I see that in this little tiny congregation. And I crave it. And people that have come in here and I've felt a little tiny bit uneasy about them, I was still grieved that they didn't come back. But at the same time, what are you protecting me from, God? What are you protecting the ministry from? Because I don't want to go through self-righteousness ever again. I don't want to be subject to it. I don't want it in here. And I guess the last thing I'll say is to remind you that at some point in our future, the people that we're bumping into every day will either be in one place or the other very soon. And we need to look at them with those eyes. Amen? Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with Shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.